Welcome to the Flavor Wire podcast. We have been absent for a couple of weeks because me, I, your host, Tom Hawking, have been ill. But I am back and I am fighting fit and I am joined by my co-host, Mos Halperin. Mos, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good, Tom. Been, I've been good. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to hear this. Um, and Sarah Seltzer, Sarah. Hello. Hello. And Alison Herman. Hi. Because we know you'll have all missed this so greatly over the last couple of weeks, we are going to begin with... Is it feminist? Is it feminist with Sarah Seltzer? (laughs) Special bumper edition focusing on Taylor Swift and all her celebrity friends. Sarah, Taylor Swift, celebrity friends, bring them all out on stage. Is Um, this feminist? (laughs) So Taylor Swift is going on her big stadium tour around the country. I was privileged enough to see her at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey with... Tens of thousands of screaming pubescent girls and a few of their mothers. Was it good? Um, you know, I actually I wrote about it for the site. It was a very mixed experience. It was a great spectacle. She gave everyone um, these wrist light up wrist things that lit up in sync to the music. So like oh, the whole wow. stadium lit up. It was really beautiful, and I like some of her new songs. But it was very. Um, it felt empty and hollow at the same time. Mm. Um, and I, I actually really like her more country music uh, better than her pop music because I think it has more personality and a little more soul. So, But she's almost eliminated all those songs from her mm. repertoire at the moment. So, um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel as, you know, um, as authentic as it could have. And I think that's part of what's going on with, so at, at every stop that she's doing, she's bringing out guests um, guest, special guests to walk the runway with her. Who was your guest? Um, it was um, Nick Jonas, and they did Jealous. Um, and then she also brought a bunch of models and people like that. And out. was that the Uzo Aduba yes. one or the Lena Dunham yeah, one? She, she had a, one yeah. token yes. non-model yes. per appearance. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was that, yes, it was the uh, the girl that they're letting hang out with the popular girls. <laughs> you know, um, it was Uzo Aduba for us, and, and it was cool. Um, the, she also brought out the she brought out the U.S. soccer team um, <laughs> for one of the um, the women's soccer team for one of them. So recently, she's brought out um, she brought out Alanis Morissette and they did "You Ought to Know" together. She brought out Beck and Saint Vincent, um, and she brought Lisa Kudrow out to and sing. And Julia Roberts at one point. Smell the cat. Gomez. Joan Baez. Joan Baez, which is a uh, so you know a lot of these guests are very feminist. Joan Baez, you can't argue with that. Alanis Morissette, um, you know, a symbol of a certain kind of girl power era. Um, So it's, you know, I think it's kind of both. It's it's like Taylor herself. It's both um, a shameless ploy for publicity and for hitting every demographic mark and also somewhat feminist, um, not the most... It's corporate feminism, really, is what mm-hmm. it is, um, which is a very complicated thing because whenever a movement hits it big, it becomes mainstream. It becomes corporatized and commercialized, and that's a sign of its success. And that's I think it's a great thing that Taylor Swift is introducing all these young fans to these cool cultural figures, like these women soccer players and you know great women actresses as, and singers of the past and powerful figures um so that can't be a bad thing and um but in terms of whether it's coming from an authentic um deep feminist consciousness i i am doubtful about that 
Yeah. <laughs> and it, it also kind of brings back the Kathleen Hanna, um, not, was not brought out on stage, unfortunately, <laughs> to thousands of screaming teenage girls. I imagine Kathleen Hanna would be having none of that. <laughs> well, apparently she is having really? s- at least yeah. some of Taylor Swift because she was sort of saying that she's kind of on the pro-pop feminism wave in that she was saying it's on balance probably a good thing that these people are at least being exposed and you can choose to explore Alanis Morissette or Joan Baez if you happen to like the two minute performance she gave bookended in between 1999 singles 1989 singles um I don't know also I think it it should be said uh right before she left our um our music editor Jillian Mapes uh wrote this really really wonderful article um just about sort of the expectations that the sort of skewed especially uh by the media and by our own desire to scrutinize um just about every act that um any pop star might make um and and how that's sort of turned the whole discourse around pop stars into this thing where we're expecting them to lead lifestyles that wholly embody um sort of all of these, you know, feminist standards, of course, and also uh, whatever feminist identity the particular listener, reader, etc., might want to. Yeah, we're expecting them to be movement leaders, mm. which they're yeah. not. They're not activists, and you know, Taylor Swift is an extremely smart, extremely, extremely smart about her image, extremely savvy business juggernaut, and you know, this is part of her her plan. And you know, I mean, a lot of rock stars and pop stars have done this kind of thing and it, it can be calculated um, but it also can be great so I think that you know much like a lot of aspects of contemporary corporate feminism like Sheryl Sandberg um, there are you know there's empowerment to be had but that doesn't mean that it should be seen as the vanguard of the movement it also did honestly shock me that it took this long for the critical backlash phase of this particular yeah. imagery invention to set in because while I I respect what she's doing and I think it's actually pretty incredible that she's sort of, I think it's kind of incredible that someone is incentivized from a business perspective to publicly identify as feminist. Yeah. But also I, I've just found it incredible that before this particular phase of her career, the most frequent sort of jabs at Taylor Swift or just jokes about her were she's competitive with other women. She's centered around her um, romantic life. And the fact that she very publicly was like, well, I'm just going to be single right now. And I just happen to be best friends with Lena Dunham right as my album cycle is starting. Mm-hmm. While I totally appreciate that, I found it almost funny that it's taken this long for the critical conversation to shift from, oh, look what she's doing now to like, maybe she wanted us to talk about this all along. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I will say that I, I think the point you make about it being a, a commercially savvy decision to, to embrace pop feminism is, is a good one and an interesting one. I mean, you know, in the past we've had innumerable pop stars who've been asked, you know, do you consider yourself a feminist and kind of like legged it out of the room rather than answer the question. Um, so I, I guess on balance, the fact that it is good for her career to be embracing this like very populist image of feminism, like, that, 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 that's got to be a good sign, ultimately, I guess. Totally, as opposed to sort of 
placing so much emphasis on the authenticity of the yeah. pop star's feminism because that is something that is really actually only matters to them because no one else, even as much as they might try to get into the mindset of a pop star, they won't be able to because that is the one thing that still belongs to the pop star. Yeah, and the only so. thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not allowed to talk about Beyonce, but if I was to talk about Beyonce, <laughs> um, I would say that I always found her embrace of feminism as an image like very calculating and very cynical you know like standing in front of big letters that say feminist and etc but again like the fact that that is a good business decision you know probably reflects well on the state of things in 2015 and now we have conclusively answered the question is it feminist (laughs) (laughs) yes with an asterisk yes with an asterisk excellent um all right well that probably brings us on to our next topic which is um the highest paid actors and actresses in hollywood uh, and on television. Alison, you had something you wanted to say about this? Uh, yeah, sure. So Forbes um, does the public service of annually compiling lists of the highest compensated um, performers and figures across a variety of industries, but um, this month they've sort of been releasing uh, the highest paid actors and actresses first in film, and they just released the highest paid actors in TV. We don't yet have the highest paid actresses in TV, but I wrote something comparing the compensation of actors versus actresses and also across years um, when that list came out. And uh, it's a little bit depressing. I think the most... So Jennifer Lawrence topped the list of highest paid actresses at a little more than $50 million. And Robert Downey Jr. topped the list of highest paid actors at $80 million. That kind of tells you all you need to know um, from that particular perspective. The average compensation for the highest paid actors is much, much higher than that for the highest paid actresses. It pretty much speaks to the availability of solid leading roles for men versus women across the industry. But once you dig down, there's also some really interesting, um, more ancillary observations. For example, this is the first year that Forbes has actually tabulated international stars from Bollywood or the Mm. Chinese film industry in their count. Mm. And that is much more obviously impactful on the men's list than it is on the women's list. Uh, There are a lot of Bollywood stars in the men's list. There are no Bollywood stars, period, on the women's list. Mm. There's one international actress among the top 18. It's fan, uh, top 18 actresses. It's Fan Bingbing from China. Mm. Um, So, it also speaks to the fact that the gender pay gap is as real, if not even more so, in other notable film industries, not just the American one. And unfortunately, that also has the, compensa- the, the effect of making the highest compensated actresses uh, even more white than the highest paid actors. Mm. So it kind of tells us a lot of stuff that we already knew about the film industry, but it puts it in concrete numbers. I think there is something to be said for the fact that older men are able to lead blockbusters. I mean, Scarlett Johansson is 30 and she's the only female member and Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. are both solidly middle-aged actors and they're two other members of that like quote-unquote team. Scarlett Johansson is only 30. Yeah, I, she might be 31, but she's, she's somewhere around there. <laughs> okay, I feel old. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think it it does speak to not just like gender and race in Hollywood, although I think those are two very important takeaways. It also really emphasizes that we're in a stage where, you know, I think this summer has seen a slump in the profitability of franchises, which our film editor Jason Bailey has also written about, Mm. but they still lead to very high paychecks and they're an extremely reliable ticket to the top. Mm. 
Okay, so how does this compare to the world of television then, where there, there aren't really franchises so much? Well, there aren't franchises, but there are very bankable shows. And I think, uh, again, we don't have the actresses list yet, but mm. if you look at the top actors in television, they're all um, long-running, a lot of long-running shows, a lot of procedurals, a lot of shows that it most was, importantly don't necessarily dominate the critical conversation, but are mm. very popular nonetheless. It was dominated by uh, The Big Bang Theory, most of all. First of all, yeah, they were predominantly sitcoms. Um, and then within that, so uh, Big Bang Theory and Modern Family were the two ones. And um, yeah, within that, Big Bang Theory took up all, I guess it's a, it's a foursome of like lead male cast members. Um, and all four of them were in the top three. There were, there were ties with one with the guy from NCIS. Yeah. Yep, um, Mark Herman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Famous relative. I do know his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's really important. I think the only actor who made the top 10 who could be is Kevin Spacey, who's the lead of House of Cards. Um, and if you look last year, there are a lot of people, half men, were both very well represented in the top 10. And I just think it's really interesting that everyone, quote unquote, everyone talks about are not necessarily the ones where the big money is. And, um, you know, a CBS comedy, CBS kind of gets made fun of all the time for being maybe less relevant to the critical conversation, but it's still a major player. And I think there's kind of a fascinating disparity between ever, everyone, again, in air quotes, talks about Orange is the New Black or Better Call Saul, but Bob Odenkirk is not going to crack that top 10 yeah. anytime soon, yeah. much as we would like him to. If everyone is, is people like us, you know, critics, yeah. essentially. Um, they, you know, the conversations we have around our water cooler are, are somewhat different to the conversations they have around water coolers in, in other offices, I suspect. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a notable, interesting reminder that there there is real value in procedurals like NCIS that my parents do regularly watch. Mm. Um, it also and, underscores and the notion that critics don't impact the cultural discourse <laughs> nearly as much as, or even drive it nearly as much as they think, think that they do. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, that's totally true. I mean, yeah. especially yeah. in this day and age. I think yeah. also a lot of people just like watch sitcoms. I mean, I know all my friends' parents um, were about, are about at retirement age and have the luxury of time to watch sitcoms in a way that they maybe didn't when they were raising kids and holding mm. down careers. And they just really enjoy sort of the mindlessness of it the way our generation probably enjoys reality TV. Mm. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons that sitcoms still are just consistently do well because you know exactly what you're getting and it gives you that like half an hour hit of easy laughter and a little a little sappiness mm. <laughs> characters you root for. Yeah, and also if you don't necessarily, on the other end, if you don't have time, you don't necessarily have the inclination to keep up with a very intense serialized drama exactly. week to week it's nice to just be able to drop in from time to time and have these self-contained episodes which also shows why the sitcom has sort of been relegated to like a more strictly like entertainment based I, w- I would say probably i guess with the exception of blackish and fresh off the boat which are doing a lot of new things but um but before like you know you would have seinfeld and fraser and shows that people would watch if they wanted to feel um, both entertained and, and somewhat witty and uh, like perhaps above the watchers of like other sitcoms. Those mm. were sort of the things that people would align themselves with if they wanted to, um, yeah, like exert their intelligence as a, as a television viewer who might have been ashamed of watching television otherwise. And now, and now I don't really think, for the most part, there are um, like 
live taped sitcoms like that. Well, speaking of television and movies, um, yes, it, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer have apparently been writing a film. A film? A screenplay, mm-hmm. yes. A screenplay, yes. Um, 100 pages so far. 100 pages so far, 100 minutes. to that mark. <laughs> um, what do we think it'll be like? We, I really hope it's a stoner, like a buddy stoner comedy. That would <laughs> be awesome. Like a road trip, lots of weed smoking antics yeah i think it's funny because um i think jennifer lawrence has spent the past couple of years crafting her public image around being someone who's funny and chill and you know has a great sense of humor but when you look at her on-screen roles they're either sort of these action heroine um mystique in the x-men or katniss everdeen in the hunger games which definitely like have their humor but they're american i mean with david o russell though she gets to be funny a lot yeah and i mean but david o russell doesn't make like a studio comedy along the lines of like a train wreck sure, sort sure. of deal. I think I think David O. Russell, part of what makes him so appealing to actors is that he crafts these characters that are both funny and dramatic, but um, on balance, they're probably a little more dramatic than they are com- comedic. I, I just think that like, it is probably a more perfect union of her outside of film image with her inside of film image mm-hmm. than we will have previously seen. Not that she has not demonstrated that she can be funny on screen before, right, right. but I'm, ex- I'm excited to see that manifestation mm. of just, her image. Just sort of semi-related to that, I did the, um, the first Hunger Games film pre- uh, press junket a few years ago, and the bro who directed it, whose name I have now forgotten, um, was, you, you, you hear about a lot of actors like staying in character between takes and etc. And he was saying that she's not like that at all. Like, she's just herself for doing takes and then just, like, switches it on and it's really quite uncanny to watch. Yep. And I think she's obviously a very talented she's actress. She's amazing. Yeah, she, she is. She really she is. She makes the Hunger Games move. I mean, she deepens them yeah. from, what you know, action flicks to these incredible, I mean, to these incredible psychodramas just sort of on the strength of her acting, I think. And mm. I also think the actor who plays Pita is really good, too. But, yeah, she's just amazing. Um... <laughs> Yeah, the ending shot of the first... Yeah. I prefer the actor who plays Lavage. <laughs> oh! Um, Bread jokes! My, my personal hope for this movie uh, is that it'll actually just... Like, it'll all... Sort of like Knife, knife in the Water. Um, it'll all just take place on that boat that they were photographed on that gave people the first hints, and it'll just be them trying to position themselves different ways for that sort of pyramid picture that they took, which looked really difficult and probably took like about the length of a feature to, to master. You just wanted to do a play. <laughs> well, I guess that would, that could make a really good play. I mean, that would be great. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and that'll be their next step. Um, so for our next topic, we wanted to talk about Grandma, which is a wonderful new independent comedy starring one Lily Tomlin uh, as the title character. Uh, her name is Elle. She is a poet uh, in her 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. And the premise of the movie is that about a year and a half ago, her partner of 40 years died. She's lesbian, which is a great dimension to her character. I think there aren't very many older three-dimensional older there's there's so many wonderful things about this movie on paper let alone in the actual movie but um the epigraph to the movie is by eileen miles it's Mm. which is another great feature of it but her gram her granddaughter shows up and says i'm pregnant i have scheduled an appointment for an abortion today i don't have the money and i don't want to tell my mom 
and Elle, being a flaky older poet lady, has cut up all her credit cards and, and made a wind chime. Them into art, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made them into a wind chime. And so it becomes this kind of buddy comedy where over the course of a single day, they visit a bunch of major figures in Elle's life. One is played by Sam Elliott. One is played by Laverne Cox. Wow. Um, it's such a great ensemble. And then the daughter, who is uh, the granddaughter's mom, is played by Marsha Gay Harden. Mm. It's such a great ensemble. And I think it's part of what makes them wonderful is that Lily Tomlin, both Lily Tomlin and the writer-director Paul Weitz have a history of doing big studio comedies. Not that we don't love 9 to 5, not that we don't love About a Boy, but it's kind of interesting to see something that's this small in scale and intimate mm. come from people with those filmmaking histories. Yeah, it's a really incredible movie. And, you know, um, it does sort of bust open a bunch of um, sort of on-screen taboos between the, you know, the, um, the lesbian character be, it's sort of you know it's just it's just there it's just part of her identity it's not really talked about sure. she's older the abortion is oh is never in question it's always going to happen the only question is how do they get the money and I think what I what I really realized because I ended up writing about abortion on film is that good abortion movies are good women's movies that you in order to tell a good story about abortion that doesn't end up in a in a cliched delivery room scene where the you know <laughs> um you have to actually look at the reality as of women's lives um and be more realistic and more honest so that often leads to some of the best tv episodes the best movies um you know i think one of the reasons people loved obvious child so much wasn't just because it was about abortion but because it was a really honest look at dating <laughs> hmm. um and the you know the pitfalls of casual dating and being depressed and being in your 20s and um, in a way that was not in any way kind of cleaned up or Hollywoodized. So um, it was just it was just an incredible movie and it was also really nice to see a movie about three generations of women mm. um, and it wasn't, their relationships were not perfect by any means. Um, Marsha Gay Harden clearly, her character clearly rebelled against her hippie poet mom by becoming a very straight corporate type. And as a result of having a very straight corporate mother, the granddaughter is just sort of like, her head is in the clouds a little bit. And she's not, you know, mm. because she's got a micromanaging mom. So she's kind of drifting around. And, and those kinds of relationships are so authentic feeling. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. I think the very obvious reference point for this movie was Obvious Child, which is also really groundbreaking in the fact that it takes the fact that women regularly have abortions for granted, as most people should. Mm. Um, but one thing that it really reminded me was another really incredible piece of work that's come out in the last year, which is Jane the Virgin, which is another story of three generations of women mm -hmm. who approach, in the same way that Jane the Virgin approaches motherhood in three very different ways, um, the oldest, the grandmother is a widow who's very conservative, um, the mother uh, became pregnant when she was 16 and had the baby, but sort of remained single. And then Jane is choosing to have a baby, but outside of a relationship because she's impregnated accidentally. Um, I think grandma has a very similar take on having three different generations of non-traditional families. Elle is a lesbian in a committed long-time relationship who had a child with a man who she raised with her female partner. 
um, Marsha Gay Harden's character, it's mentioned almost in passing that she had uh, her daughter through surrogacy and was also a single mother. Sage is experiencing pregnancy with her the first time and has to ask herself lots of questions about what she wants out of a partner. And you see this very candid conversation about what it means to reproduce and have a child um, in a way that I think Jane the Virgin, part of what made it such a, a wonderful intimate show is it addressed similar issues in a very uh, candified CW way, but in a great, great, very emotionally affecting way. Hmm. So the moral of the story is that people, if, you, if it's playing in your town or your city, you should go see it. And it's a very short film. It's funny. The scene where Lily Tomlin's character goes after the boy who's knocked up her granddaughter is unforgettable. I'm not going to spoil it any further, uh, although I've seen lots of spoilers in other reviews, but um, it is worth the entire ticket price, I would argue. Aside <laughs> from the fact that the... And there's a very funny scene with the anti-abortion protesters. Um, um, it's a perfect mix of, of funny and sad and poignant um, and not too sugar-coated at all. Not, not sappy in any way, but very emotional at the same time. Yeah, and I think it's a film that manages to make some powerful political points almost accidentally because it happens to be so well-timed with regard to public debates over abortion while clearly not really trying to make those points. It just does it by situating its story in a really specific place and time. And unlike Taylor Swift, it kind of takes the feminism <laughs> of its character for granted. Like, she is... Here is someone who's lived her whole life by feminist principles. It doesn't make her a hero. She just happens to have these copies of The Second Sex and Jermaine Greer lying around her house. And this is, you know, this is how she lives her life. Um, and there are ways that she's a hypocrite, but it, it's sort of nice to see the, the feminism of the character um, as, you know, as just part of her identity and her way of looking at the world rather as, as this sort of selling point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we were enjoying the Lily Tomlin Renaissance. We are. Mm. The Tomlin song, songs. The Tomlin songs. songs. Yeah, I guess that does kind of blend itself well. It's Lily, Lily, Lily songs. Lily songs? Lily songs, yeah. Lily songs. Ooh. Well, we shall continue to discuss this, but we will bid you, dear listener, a fond farewell. Thank you for listening to Flavorwire Podcast. We shall return... Well, we plan to return within a couple of weeks unless I become ill again, so we shall see. Thank you for listening, and until next time, this has been the Flavor Wire Podcast.